Hey, thanks for listening to the Bellevue Christian Church podcast. We're a church in Bellevue, Pennsylvania, where ordinary people are learning to live everyday life like Jesus. We believe that one way to learn that life is by engaging with an ancient but active collection of books called the Bible every single week. If this teaching leaves you with a question about the content or a story of what God is doing in your life, please send a message to hello at bellevuechristian.church because we'd love to hear from you. Well, good morning. How do you like this nice rainy weekend we're having? You know, I thought April showers were supposed to bring, what, May flowers? Instead, it brought more showers, right? And actually, I thought I was going to open up and with a little bit of joke about that, but I realized I'm in the wrong month because we know that April showers bring May flowers, but what do May flowers bring? Pilgrims, that's right. Third grade joke. That's, that's the best I had. And I was going to tell that, and all of a sudden I realized, hey, it's already May, so it probably won't fit, but I'll tell it anyway. Anyway, so the, the, the bad news is, again, it's been raining. The good news is that we are starting a new sermon series called The Kingdom of Heaven is Like. And uh, really, the better news is that this is part of a three-part series, so to speak, three different series. It's going to take us pretty much through the end of August. And although each ser- series will be a little bit different, a little bit different focus, you know, this one is going to be basically about on the parables of Jesus. All three series will have the overarching theme of the kingdom, of God's kingdom. And you may be thinking, you know, that's, that's a lot of time. That's about 18 weeks we'll be spending talking about the kingdom. And you may be thinking, you know, you know that's, is it really relevant? Is there a good reason to do that? And I would say that's probably a lot of good reasons to, to do that, but I'm going to start with three. The first one being is that when we come to the idea of kingdom, uh, the kingdom of God, or also known as the kingdom of heaven, you know, we have a lot of confusion about that. You know, if you were to ask somebody, a Christian, you know, tell me about the kingdom. What is the kingdom of God or what is the kingdom of heaven? I imagine you get a little bit of a confused look. You know, some people may say, well, what it is, it's some sort of a, a kind of a, a distant paradise, a paradise off in some sort of a distant galaxy that somehow you kind of get transported to after you die. I think people actually think of that when they think about the kingdom of heaven. They think of something way, way out there in this massive thing where the other extreme, some people think about the kingdom of God as something that's so close that it's in your heart that it's totally contained within the, within the human heart. And you've got also people who think of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven in terms of the church, the collective church, the collective, uh, all Christians who ever lived all time and all the churches and all the denominations, they think of that as the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And a side note, I'll be using those a little bit interchangeably because the Gospels do, and we'll talk more uh, down the road about why that is. But anyway, you'll hear me both saying kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. But that's the first reason, is that there's a lot of confusion about what the kingdom is. And the second reason is that it's actually a good follow-up to our last series. You may recall, if you were here for the six-week series, you know, basically entitled, What Happens When I Die, or death, uh, questions around death, resurrection, and everything in between, you know, that, was a, that ended on Easter. And that's a good follow-up. But in this particular sermon series, we're not going to answer the question, what happens when I die, but really, what am I going to do about the fact that I'm going to live forever? How should that change? In other words, that I'm not just going in the grave and going to stay there. What's going to change? If I'm going to live the eternal life in the kingdom of God, how might that affect my values, my character, even my lifestyle today? So that's another reason we want to examine this idea of the kingdom. But the third reason, and probably the most important reason, is that Jesus talked about the kingdom. The kingdom was constantly part of Jesus's 
language. He's always talking. He's always preaching. He's always teaching about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. We see it in the very first, basically, reference to it in the, in the first gospel where basically he says, from that point, or Matthew writes, from that point on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, this is actually the first place where Jesus mentions the kingdom, but it's not the last as we'll see in the coming weeks, that he talks quite a bit about the kingdom, especially in the, the parables in the 13th chapter of Matthew. But what I'd like to do today, instead of jumping into that section, I'd like, if possible, to just kind of remain at this section, you know, to kind of use, actually, in this second part of this verse, to kind of use these verses, this verse, uh, as kind of the, the focus today, because I really think they're foundational, the verse is foundational for the whole series, not just this coming series, but the, all throughout the summer. And so, again, what I'd like to do is just kind of focus on this last part, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Would that be okay with you guys, that I don't go into the parables just yet? If it's not too bad, so sad, because this is what I prepared to do. So, anyway, all kidding aside, again, when we, what I want you to do is, because it's very easy to get lost in this concept of the kingdom very quickly. And so what I want to do is kind of give you the main point of the sermon up front. And the main point is this, that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's eternal kingdom, also known as life lived within his will, as we'll talk about in a minute, has been made accessible to all people today and forever. Again, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's eternal kingdom, also known as life lived within his will, has been made accessible to all people today and forever. And this is really kind of an encapsulation of what Jesus would refer to as the good news. You know, he often tied the good news, the, the phrase good news with the kingdom. Actually, we would see it in a, in a few verses later where it says Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Preaching, again, the good news of the kingdom. The healings, the sick, healing of the sickness and casting out demons were just signs that, again, the kingdom had arrived. And so, Jesus saw the good news a little bit different than we see the good news. In fact, I would imagine we take a survey and, uh, or, you know, and you ask that typical Christian, you know, what's the good news? They say, well, the good news is that my sins are forgiven and I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Hallelujah. Amen. That's good news, all right. It's incredible news. But some of you might remember the talk show host Paul Harvey says, you know, there's more to this story. I'm going to give you the rest of the story. And Jesus tried to give us the rest of the story. The rest of the story is that, again, he wasn't thinking about, when he was out preaching, he wasn't thinking about just making sure everybody gets their spot in heaven when they die. He was thinking about how their life may be impacted by the kingdom while they're still alive. In other words, Jesus didn't come to offer you a one-way ticket to heaven to use when you die, but an invitation to experience the kingdom, kingdom life while you were still alive. Again, Jesus didn't come to offer you a one-way ticket to heaven to use when you die, but an invitation to experience the kingdom life while you're still alive. So Jesus opened the doorway to the eternal kingdom in heaven, yes, but he opened the doorway uh, right now. It applies immediately to his life and to our lives. And now I know right now I can tell by looking at some of your faces that some people that are a little confused by this, some people a little concerned, some people may even be a little bit angry because I'm kind of pushing what you've been taught, you're coming against the grain. In a sense, that some of you have been taught, yeah, this is really just all about my salvation. My sins are forgiven, and I'm getting to heaven. And I would just say, just bear with me. 
because by the end of the series, or at least by the end of the summer, I think you'll have a more robust understanding of the kingdom, what it means. I think you'll have a more robust understanding of the vision that Jesus had of the good news of Jesus Christ. Again, a vision that's more robust than our limited view of the vision of, of the kingdom of God and what it means to be saved. Anyway, before we go there, we have to continue to, we have to first kind of get on some, a basic understanding of terms. And really the first term we want to address is this whole idea of kingdom. You see, we basically, you know, when we think of kingdom, probably most Americans, I would think about the United, they think about the United Kingdom because, uh, you know, they, they understand it, they see it in the news, especially when there's a lot of drama going on around there. And we also, we also pay attention to it when somebody's expecting a baby, which I believe Megan's expecting one any day now. The drama is they don't know if it's going to be a boy or a girl. And if it's a boy, then you've got another boy in line for the succession to be potentially the king. But for this child, he's like number seven. So it's probably unlikely that he will someday be the king. But whatever the case, again, it's an excitement about it. And this is how we think of a kingdom. But the reality is there's 26, apparently 26 other monarchies in the world. You know, you have a lot of other different kingdoms. You've got Denmark, Morocco, I think Japan, and uh, even Spain. In fact, as a little side note, when I was in the Navy, I actually got to wait on King Carlos, Juan Carlos, and his wife, Queen Sophia, when they came aboard our aircraft carrier. And that's a little bit of story. I'd hope to have a picture of it, but I decided I'd save that for another day. You've heard enough Navy stories from Chuck. Anyway, I did. I waited on a king, the king and queen of Spain. But again, what I'm trying to get to is that we tend to think, we tend to have a limited view of what a king is. We think of title and we think of geographical area. So you've got to kind of put that aside a little bit and think in terms of influence. Think in terms of influence. Or think about the range of somebody's will. Basically, what they want done gets done is their kingdom. And so in that regard, as I've talked about before, you know, we all have a kingdom or a queendom. You know, if you live in a house and, you know, you're generally the king or the queen and you have rulership, so to speak, of your children and your pets, unless, of course, you have a cat, then the cat is king, right? <laughs> and, and then that kingdom, all kidding aside, that kingdom extends out into the community. So you've got people that have, you know, influence in the community. Again, by title or just by, again, they're known. They have influence that extends in Bellevue and extends even beyond into Pittsburgh. You have people like that, but you also have people who have um, kingdoms that are like businesses, you know, businesses that are like kingdom, people that employ hundreds or thousands of people in their, in their company, you know, like Tim Cook does. With the, he's the CEO of Apple. I mean, he's got, he oversees thousands of employees. But his influence, because he oversees so many employees, because it's part of a big company, that influence extends in many different areas. So when he speaks, things get done. And so again... It's not a title. It's not a geographical area. It's really a level of influence. And then you could even expand it even more to the concept of the, to the entertainment world. Does anybody recognize this guy? What's his name? I can never pronounce his last name. See, you're supposed to answer it with a question like Jeopardy, right? See, all the old people know the answer, right? Yeah, because that's all we do is sit around and watch Jeopardy. After the evening news, where I don't know what the kids are doing, but uh, we sit around and watch the evening news and then Jeopardy and then Wheel of Fortune, right? But anyway, yes, this is James Holtzhauer, I believe is the name. And he's soon to be the reigning king of Jeopardy. He's not the king yet. 
a guy named Ken Jennings is still the king. He's been, Ken Jennings, uh, I think, won 74, 74 consecutive games, accumulated $2.5 million. Now, James, on the other hand, is a little more quicker pace. He's won, to this point, $1.7 million, and he did it in 22 games. He's amazing to watch. He's breaking all the records. So he is soon to be the reigning king of Jeopardy. Anyway, so you have, again, when you think about the idea of influence and impact, you know, it's different than a title in geographical area. And then, obviously, you have the kings, and you have also the leaders of countries like, like Trump and, and Putin and Kim Jong-un. You know, they, they have their areas, but they also have influence beyond the borders. But the point I'm trying to get to, again, you need to think of influence, especially when we're thinking about God's kingdom. Think about, again, his will being done. His will being extended. What he wants done gets not done. It's his realm of influence. And when you think about it in terms of influence or will, then you begin to see that the Lord's Prayer even begins to make a little bit more sense. Now, I know that most of you people know the Lord's Prayer, except especially the good Catholics out there, because everybody grew up reciting it over and over every single week. What is it? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's next? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We say that the Lord's Prayer so much, we don't even think about it. But these two words, kingdom and will, basically are being used interchangeably. Your kingdom, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's basically the same thing. Because where God's will is being done, that's his kingdom. Where his influence is being known, that's his kingdom. Where God's kingdom is, his will is being done. And so again, they are basically used interchangeably. And so God's will, God's, king, or God's kingdom is again where his will is done. And as a side note, when we read this part, we're not praying. The prayer is not that somehow we would bring the kingdom down into existence like it's never been there before. No, the kingdom has existed, Right? What we're doing is saying, bring that influence into every arena of life. The political arena, the business arena, the social arena, the homes, the schools. That's what we're asking for. Bring that influence into all our life. Let that kingdom come down and come into all areas of influence. Again, so we're not asking it to come on into existence. It has been existence for all time. In fact, that's what makes, us, makes God's kingdom different than man's kingdom. And if we, all we have to do is look back in the Psalms and we see that where the psalmist writes, speaking of God's kingdom, he says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. We're not asking to bring it into existence. We're saying bring it on down into our lives. And the other thing that makes a different uh, God's kingdom different than our kingdom is that man's kingdom is often characterized by corruption, by power, by greed, by military might. God's kingdom has none of that. God's kingdom is characterized by what we'd call the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, kindness and self-control. In fact, I think it was Paul who wrote that the kingdom of God is about peace and joy and righteousness in the Spirit. In that sense, where man's kingdom is not always a safe place to be, God's kingdom is totally a safe place to be. And going back to the good news again, our initial verse, 
is that Jesus, it says, inviting us into this. So come on in. And he says it, it's kind of, kind of hard to read. It's kind of buried in this, in this initial passage where it says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And really you may be thinking, well, why? what's the big deal about this? It is a big deal because we lost access to that kingdom. Again, you know the story that's found back in Genesis. You know about the idea that we were actually designed by God, made by God to have dominion. In fact, I don't have the passage on the screen, but it comes out right out of Genesis chapter 1, the first chapter of the Bible, 26 verse. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures of the creatures that move along the ground. Again, we were that the that the kingdom of God is meant to be. We were meant to be rulers over our own kingdom. But what happened is we got a little greedy and said, "We don't. We're not happy with our little domain. We want to have more of God's domain." And so what happened? That's called sin, and that's sin through a wrench in the whole system, the whole life of the kingdom. And so Jesus is saying, you know what? By my coming, by my coming back, by my stepping foot, that kingdom's being opened up again. And here's the invitation. All you need to do is re- repent. Now, as a side note, this word repent is a word with a lot of baggage, isn't it? You know, it's a churchy-sounding word that has a whole lot of baggage. It was never meant to have a whole lot of baggage. It was, it was actually a word that, that basically, you know, was was a common word of the day, of the Greek language of the day. But somehow we got baggage. We made it religious sounding. I mean, when I think about repent, I don't know when you think about repent, but I was thinking about when I was in school and college in Portland State back in the 80s. Yes, the 80s. I say late 80s, but it was really earlier 80s. And the 80s was, I act treated as like yesterday. Debbie decided, you always talk about the 80s like it was yesterday. It was like 30 years ago, right? Or more. Anyway, I was back there, and I remember I was going, I was studying business, and of course I was bored at times, and so looking for something to do, we'd sit out on the, the common area, and I don't know if any of you have been in Portland, some of you have, and Portland's got some interesting people, that's a kind way of saying, some, yeah, some interesting people, so to speak, that tend to wander around the colleges or whatever, and I remember we'd go out there, and you'd kind of be entertained by a lot of these people, and, and, but every so weeks you'd have somebody show up, I'd call them an old hippie or something, you know, they'd show up, and basically show up with a sign that said, repent. Repent. And so what would happen is he'd show up and he'd start shouting Bible verses and things like that. And the people, the other students would sit there and just mock him. And he'd shout louder. And then they'd start shouting louder. And before I know, they're fighting, you know. And uh, he gets mad and leaves and they get mad and leave. And nothing gets accomplished. Maybe somebody got saved. I don't know. I just know a lot of people went away mad. And then probably all of them, including that man, did not even know what repent meant. That repent is actually a, a Greek word that's the word metanoia, which means a number of things, but it's kind of translated like this. It's, it means to think again, to rethink, to have a second thought, or a change of heart. That's probably not how we were taught about the word repent. And so basically what Jesus is saying, I've arrived here, the kingdom has come, so what I want you to do is maybe think, rethink how you've been living your life up to this point. You've been pretty much living in a world following, following the world's ways and so on and whatnot. Rethink, reconsider, have a second thought. 
or have a change of heart, or you should have a change of heart because the kingdom of God has arrived. Or I like how Eugene Peterson says it in a message. He says, change your life. God's kingdom is here. Change your life. That's what repent means. Change your life. It doesn't mean get in our knees and say, oh, I'm such a horrible person. I'm a sinner. Oh, God, please forgive me. A little bit of that. You have to be remorseful for your sin. But it's not just about beating yourself up for your past. It's accepting God's, uh, Christ's invitation into this new life. Changing your life and saying, my life has been aligned going this way, and now I want, to go, I want it more in line with you, and that's what it is. So change your life and put it more in tune with God. And he's also saying by those last two words, is here, is basically saying again, this is not something that's going to come down the road when you die. This is something that you can begin to experience right now today. And you say, well, Chuck, how do you know that? I know that because basically Jesus said it in other places. Again, we know that Actually, before the, uh, chapter 13 in Matthew, chapter 12, Jesus is kind of going around doing ministry, healing people, casting out demons. He's very good about casting out demons. He put a lot of focus on that. In fact, last week, Jay mentioned how he cast out legions of de- a legion of de- demons from one man, and they were all thrown into a, a, a herd of pigs. Why, why so many demons? You know, and, 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 but he was, we're not sure, but he was doing it in such a way that the Pharisees, they didn't know what to do with it. How can they object to something? But they were frustrated because they didn't like what he was doing. They didn't like the attention he was getting. And so somewhere along the line, some Pharisee makes a comment that really was kind of dumb when you think about it. It didn't make any sense whatsoever. And basically said to Jesus, well, the only reason that he can cast out a demon is because he's a demon himself. Or he's working under the power of the prince of demons. And about that time, Jesus chimes in and he says, listen, if Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How can his kingdom stand? And it's a rhetorical question. The simple answer is can't. It'll end up in a heap. It's civil war. You've got demons fighting against demons. If that's the case, you know, so this can't be true. That's a dumb statement there, Mr. Pharisee. But he didn't stop there. He used it as an opportunity to clarify the, the coming, that the, the kingdom of God has indeed come. He goes on to say, but if I drive out demons by the Spirit, or some texts say the finger, or some other texts say the power of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, is here. Is here. Now. And, and, and the, the Pharisees don't know what to do with this. And then he goes on and adds this kind of this metaphorical question. He's not done with these guys yet. He adds this metaphorical question that really I had never given a lot of thought to. But it's a, it's a great question because it brings clarity to what's going on. He said, or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he, is, he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. He's asking him a question. It's a rhetorical question because... The simple answer is they, a person can't. It'd be like me trying to go in and take all of Arnold Schwarzenegger's, whatever his name is, stuff out of his house, right? It wouldn't. I'd have to figure out a way to tie him up so that then I could take his possession, I could take his stuff. And so what is believed that, that what Jesus is talking about, when he talks about the strong man, the strong man is Satan. Who are the possessions? The possessions in that setting were the people that were possessed 
by the demonic, you know, similar today, you know, similar today, it's not only people possessed by the demonic, it's basically people who are influenced under the influence of Satan. In other words, they're living within his will and not God's will. And again, we saw it back then, and you say, well, that was demonic, you know, maybe back then, but today, I don't buy that stuff. Well, how do you explain somebody going into a synagogue or church and blowing an old lady to pieces? How do you explain somebody going into school and killing innocent children? Don't tell me it's behavioral stuff. Demonic. It's only Americans that have struggled with this. You go into other countries, the demonic, they understand it. They get it, and that's why they know how to fight against it. We just write it off and just say, why? Why is this happening? And again, so there's the demonic, but again, it's not only the demonic, the people in their possession of the demonic. It's the people that choose to continue to live under not the will of God, but to live under the will of Satan. And Jesus is saying, well, listen, you know, again, I, I, you know, in order to make this, to do this, you know, that in order to do this, I have to, in order to um, be able to take back those possessions, the people that are under the influence, I have to get in his house and I have to tie his hands, and then I can take the people away, the possessions away. So I have to bound his hands, and, 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 and so the question would be, uh, the answer would be, the response would be, well, well, how does this happen? Because it seems impossible because, you know, Chuck, you've even said before that the, the enemy, Satan, kind of prowls around like a roaring lion looking for people to devour, to mess with. And besides that, we know that Satan is kind of a spiritual being, so how do you bind the spiritual hands of a person? And we have to remember that Jesus, again, is, is making, or, uh, making a, a metaphorical comment or statement or question. He's not talking about a literal truth. He's talking about a spiritual truth. That in some sense, by his coming, by his death, burial, and resurrection, which is near, which is about to happen in a couple days in this particular context, what happened is that, again, Satan's hands got bound, which means that his power source got removed. And you say, well, how did that happen? Well, again, if you remember from the last series, we talked about the whole idea of sin. We talked about how sin gets its power from the law, and specifically from the guilt of the law, the guilt of not being able to follow God's commands, the guilt that we've lived on since, the, since we've walked this earth. And he's basically, and that was the power that Satan had. And so when Jesus comes on the scenes and basically removes the guilt of the sin, he's basically cut off the power source of Satan. He's deflated Satan's power, his strength whatsoever. And so, so what happens is that means now, is what he's saying is, now God through Jesus Christ can come on the scene and later even through the Holy Spirit and one by one just pluck people out of Satan's domain and pluck them in where they belong, back in God's domain. In fact, Paul writes about this in Colossians where he says, For he, God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. That's a summary of exactly what's going on. That's what happens in the spiritual realm, or at least we believe what happens in the spiritual realm, when a person is saved. That there's a rescue mission that has taken place. That in some spiritual way, we have somehow been removed from the dominion of darkness 
the evil age, so to speak, that we live in and plucked into the kingdom and set down in the kingdom of God. Again, the kingdom of the Son, where we have this righteousness and forgiveness of sins. And what Jesus, again, is saying, this kingdom is accessible, has been made accessible to everyone. In fact, it goes back to my main point, which is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's eternal kingdom, also known again, life within his will, has been made accessible to all people today and forever. Or as Peter writes, in 1 Peter writes, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven, and the future starts now. Not 20, 30, 40, 50 years on the road. The future starts right now. Experience that kingdom. And a guy named Dallas Willard says it like this. He says, it is a kingdom that in the person of Christ, the person of Jesus, welcomes us just as we are, just where we are, and makes it possible for us to translate our ordinary life into an eternal one. Does anybody get this? Am I making sense? It's tough to explain, but it's so powerful. I love talking about this stuff. That's why I'm excited about this series. This is powerful stuff. Once you get it, the lights go on, and you say, man, this is good stuff. But again, we have people in the world, and maybe even some people in the church, are saying, you know what? I'd rather stay over in Satan's kingdom, under Satan's will, in Satan's dominion. For whatever reason, I don't know, but they do. That's just the reality. We'll talk about that in a few weeks when we talk about the, the weeds uh, growing up within, within everything else and that you're going to always have believers and non-believers kind of living together. So there's people there who choose to stay there. And then there's other people that are the Christians, and this is where I talk to most of you here, is that you're not living in the kingdom. Oh, you're living in the kingdom, but you're still at the front door. You're not living fully in the kingdom. I know, because some of you deal with anxiety, depression, fear. I'm not talking about the medical. I'm talking about the people that just, again, they, 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 they live in a state of constant anxiety, constant doubt, constant unhappiness. Just all this stuff, this thinking, thinking, that is not thinking like the kingdom. What it is, it's basically saying, you are still living in the dominion of darkness. You are living there when you could be living within the will of God, that it's filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Now, I don't have time to talk about how you make that movement, but again, God made the initial movement when you were saved. But you have to kind of drive the car again because nobody drives a, you, God doesn't drive a parked car. You have to cooperate with God. If you want to make movement deeper into that kingdom, you'll never be 100% in the kingdom. I'm not 100% until we get to the other side. But we always got to be pushing away, pushing forward. And I say that, speaking to myself, many of us are stuck. We're stuck. Like I said, I've been here 15 years, and I know there's people that have been, haven't made a change, haven't not taken one step deeper into the kingdom of God. And that's a shame. Because he's saying, kingdom of God is here. It's now, it's ready. Enjoy it. And so either Jesus is lying Oh, I'm lying, or, you know, we're you crazy, we're both. I don't know, but again, if it's there, why wouldn't you want that? If he says the kingdom of God is here, why would you want it? But again, everybody has to make 
their own choice. If you're living outside the kingdom and you know it, haven't accepted Jesus Christ, haven't followed it through with baptism or anything, you, you know, that's your choice. You, you have to, you have to, you know, you make that choice. If you haven't, um, again, if you, if you choose to stay at the front door of the kingdom, it's up to you. The bottom line, again, it goes back to this idea of repentance. Do you want to repent? You know, again, repent is changing your way of thinking. Rethinking the, the life you're living. Having a change of heart. And really what it is, is responding to Christ's words, again, from Matthew 4, where he says, change your life. God's kingdom is here. Let us pray. God in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. I'm excited about this series this summer on the kingdom because, again, I think it offers a solution to so many of our, our challenges we face, especially Christians, Lord. It really it addresses the challenges of the world. That once the kingdom, again, gets a hold of us, Lord, the understanding of the kingdom, and even a little bit of desire to step into it, the amazing change that could occur in lives and families and homes and in businesses and in the world, in governments. And so, Lord, again, I pray every person here, I pray if somebody doesn't feel they're in the kingdom or know they're in the kingdom at all, that I pray that during this time of prayer that they would come up and have somebody pray over them. And again, if they've been walking too close to the, to the world, one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom, I pray that, again, they would take a step today, even a baby step, to be able to move closer into your ever-expanding kingdom. That begins today, began actually 2,000 years ago, and continues on for all eternity. Lord, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If that teaching moved you or left you with questions, let us know by sending a message to hello at bellevuechristian.church. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast for a new teaching from us every single week.